Welcome to the Smart Connector, the podcast that helps entrepreneurs be the leader their ideal people love. Build your influence, wealth and success, attract others for all the right reasons and become a Smart Connector, the architect of your amazing business and life. Welcome, everybody. We're live on the Smart Connector group. This is also the Smart Connector podcast. I have the most awesome guest for you tonight. And now that we're in lockdown and it's been going on for a long time, I think we're all feeling a little bit jaded. So the timing couldn't be better to introduce you to someone who is going to help you step into your superpowers, become superhuman. Uh, We have a really, really exciting guy, Harry Kalimnos. Welcome, Harry. Hi, thanks, Jane. Um, Great to be here. Um, yeah. You're well, and everybody watching, listening live as well, or on the recording. So, so Harry, tell us all about yourself. Uh, you're, you're all about superpowers and being superhuman and being the very best version of yourself, right? Yeah, I mean, um, let me explain. I guess the first thing to explain is well, what do I mean by superhuman? Because um, I my my mum especially actually she really doesn't like that term um she goes oh, i think that's very misleading what you're talking about superhuman now what i mean by superhuman is to imagine yourself on your best day uh, when everything seems to be flowing right everything's working your productivity is up your relationships are up your energy is up and then imagine times in that by 10 and then rather than living like that haphazardly, like once in a while where you feel like that, being able to live like that eight, nine days out of 10, maybe even 10, who knows, but there's always there's always room uh, for, for things to, to throw a spanner in the works. But really it's about living a superior version of yourself. So we're not talking about uh, being able to do handstands down the street or cartwheels down the street or holding your breath for half an hour in terms of superhuman feats like that. What we are talking about really is being an everyday superhuman. So what does an everyday superhuman mean? It means being able to do that full day at work that we have to do. But if you want to get stuff done beforehand, you can do it. If you want to do your side hustle in in the background or in the evenings, you can do that. If you want to learn public speaking in the evenings or go to a club or uh, like a speaking club or whatever it is, to be able to do all of that and and still feel great and energized and healthy. That's what really I mean by superhuman is operating at a superior level to what you're normally operating at. Um, so that's that's the, the 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 frame, I guess, of reference for us tonight. And that's what I mean by being superhuman. So we're not talking um, superhuman powers, except for we are unlocking our own innate superpowers because I guess, and this goes back to my story really, is that I feel or I felt like uh, maybe a decade or so ago um, that what I was observing uh, in myself and also people around me was not really us living to our, our fullest potential, our fullest capabilities and almost I guess now maybe it's more obvious than ever like that that kind of groundhog day that hamster wheel of life where we're just doing our Monday to Friday uh, at least in my case anyway I was I was in a job that I didn't hate by any stretch of the imagination I you know I was always very grateful for having a, a job and an income but I didn't love it 
and it wasn't my passion, but um, I, I guess I fell into it and I wasn't really thinking, uh, I guess my life plan didn't really extend when I was a child past university. So after university, I went traveling for about two or three years. Well, two years, came back for a, a couple of months. And then I went and lived in Greece for six months. And I wasn't really sure what I was gonna do with my life. And I ended up actually, when I came back from that three years abroad, um, having gained a good degree in physics with astrophysics, a first class degree in physics and astrophysics, I found myself working in uh, my local pub uh, that I used to drink in when I was you know, 17, 18, well, let's say 18, just to be on the safe side. So <laughs> I was 18 years old and, um, and I started working there and then I managed to get a job temping at a law firm that my older sister was working at. And, and, I, and I just thought, you know, I, I just got into this, this London working thing. I mean, and eventually after working there for a bit, being made redundant, I ended up at the London Stock Exchange. So worked at the London Stock Exchange. Now, sounds great, sounds fancy, but I wasn't a, it's not Wall Street. I'm not a trader. There was no trading going on. I was actually working in IT. So I was working in like IT operations and I was working night shifts uh, and different shifts for about three years. And then I transitioned. So I was there for six years in total at the Stock Exchange. Um, three of those was working for a company called Accenture. And then the other three was directly for the Stock Exchange. But the whole time I was in literally in the same building. And so I was just going through that hamster wheel of life. And I thought to myself, you know, there's got to be, uh, you know, I, I, this is fine, but it's not really lighting my fire. I would, you know, do my normal thing during the week. I, you know, I was always quite active, quite fit. I'd go to the gym. Um, but then, you know, Friday would come, you'd go out for those drinks. And then you always had, or I always had these plans, you know, the weekend is going to be the time when, you know, I'm going to get started on that book. Or I'm going to get started on that side business. Or I'm going to do whatever it is. And then you drink too much on a Friday night, half of Saturday's hungover. Then, you know, before you know it's Sunday evening and you're going, oh, I've got to go to work. And you've got that Monday morning drag on and on it went. And then eventually after the uh, financial crisis in, well, it was 2008, the financial crisis, but the residual effects, I guess they're still being felt now, but really for those last next couple of years were, were, were being felt by companies and it gave them an opportunity a lot of the time to make layoffs and just claim the financial crisis as the reason for the layoffs. And so they made everybody in my department redundant, yeah, except for me actually, because not because I was particularly someone that had to be held onto, it's just I think because if they had made me redundant as well, um they would have had to announce it to the press uh not because i'm special or anything but because i think there's a threshold of like 18 people where you have to then announce it and <laughs> I, would, I would have been like the 18th person or the 19th person um so i i was held on for another couple of couple of months and then i eventually had to um uh, ask for redundancy and the reason i asked for redundancy is because i guess i was waiting for that sign from the universe right of what am I supposed to do with my life? What am I supposed to be? And and the truth is it never comes, right? You might get hints, especially if you're in tune with your intuition, you might figure things out. But I guess from my perspective, I was thinking, if ever there was a sign that I was um, supposed to get, maybe it was this redundancy thing. And so I took the redundancy, I started to then pursue some other interests while I had a bit of time off, um, namely 
a number of years before I'd come across um, a term called NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming, which is for those of you maybe watching that aren't familiar with it or have heard something about it, but not quite sure. Um, I like to think of it as just a collection of tools or communication tools, um, which really are labeling things that we already do, but but packaging them up so that we understand and can replicate them. So there's nothing in my view anyway, some people have uh, can get a bit of a bad rap and think, oh, well, NLP is this mind trickery stuff that people use. And Darren Brown is, you know, probably one of the most famous people that has done some NLP. But I equate it, I guess, to um, like a, a knife, right? A knife is neither good nor bad. You can use it for good things or you can use it for bad things. And it's the same with any skill that you learn, I think. Anyway, I did an NLP course. And then that led me down a whole rabbit hole, which we can go into as well, um, which ultimately led me here. Um, there's more to the story, but I realized I've been speaking just nonstop for ages. <laughs> so, um, so yes, um, it led me down a rabbit hole of personal development, going to different courses. And then I, I guess making a, an even longer story, a bit shorter, I, I started doing uh, a lot of the things that I was noticing other successful people do. So I started noticing like, you know, five or seven or eight or 10 people out of 10 were telling me to, not me, but were saying, this is beneficial. So I thought, oh, maybe I'll try doing this thing. And then another seven out of 10 were saying, this is beneficial. And I thought, oh, I'll try doing that. And over the course of about a month or so, I think I made about 30 small changes and over the course of about a year I made maybe about 200 Ooh. and what I noticed was um you know energy levels go up vitality go up resilience increase you know health increase um relationships focus productivity everything um went in the right direction um and at the same time I um after a few months of not working, I started to contract at the um, headquarters of Sainsbury's. Um, and what I needed um, at the time was, well, what I recognized, I suppose, at the time was when you're a contractor or a freelancer, you know, you, unlike when you're employed, you don't get sick pay. Um, I guess you wouldn't get furlough if you were <laughs> in this situation right now, you would just be let go. And so as a, as a contractor, as a freelancer, you have to, A, because you're a freelancer, you're being paid a little bit more on a, on a daily or a weekly rate for your skills. So you have to be effectively better than what, what the permanent employees are, or at least appear to be. You have to contribute more and you have to be there to get paid. You can't take a sick day if you feel sick um, or rather you just don't want to get sick. And so whilst I was always into fitness um, and exercise and activity ever since I can remember, since, you know, five years old, I've always been into that sort of side. I wasn't necessarily into health. And I realized maybe a decade or so ago that they're not the same thing. Fitness and health are, are two separate things. They may be opposite sides of the same coin, but they are slightly different. And I really started to focus on aspects of health and vitality and energy and i noticed that i you know i wasn't taking sick days whereas i used to get four or five colds a year you know maybe get one every three or four years now and and that's a lot easier and short-lived than it ever has been and it's only happens when i don't do the things that i eventually discovered and 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 talk about so 
Okay. So, yeah, so so essentially that's that's a little bit of the backstory. So then we can go deeper into that through right. the conversation. All right. Well, well, before we we go on, just want to say hi to Sanjit Bhavanani, who actually introduced us. So hi, Sanjit. It's great to have you here. Hi, Richard. Richard is here every week. So if you have any questions, uh, doing Unleash the Power with Tony Robbins, Richard says. So we're, we, we love Tony Robbins, don't we, um, Harry? He's a bit of an inspiration, isn't he? What do yeah. you think? I, I first listened to his audios maybe 15, 16 years ago now. Um, mm -hmm. Listened to them today and went to UPW maybe eight years ago. Yeah. yeah. And we both went to the Yes Group in London, didn't we? So I, I don't yeah. think that I met you there, but I know that was, we also connected through that, which is the Tony Robbins. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, was actually, it was actually going to the Yes Group that, really started down this whole journey because I met someone on my NLP course who told me about the S group. I went to the S group and through the S group, I actually went to the first main event I went to, which started the whole ball rolling was an event by Joseph McLennan III. So Tony Robbins is like top trainer. And I went to an event called the A Factor, which is what it was. Was it called the A Factor? I think it was called the A Factor at the time. And this was, uh, I guess, 2011. And that, is when things kind of snowballed. Um, so yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, well, that's a great introduction. Thank you so much for that, Harry. So let's get into it. So you mentioned that you made all these changes over the course of one year. Now, what I'm fascinated to hear, Harry, is a lot of people, I mean, I coach people as well. And a lot of people say to me that they haven't got the discipline. I struggle with it myself. You know, I, I know that it would probably be a very good idea for me to give up chocolate, for example. Um, but I don't I because I like chocolate. And so most of the time we cling on to these habits that are not necessarily very good for us, but they make us feel good in the short term. And I guess what uh, would worry me about making all of those changes is I would think, do you know what? I, I'd have to give up all these things, these little comforts that I make me feel good. So mm. I'd love to know how you managed to get around that and actually find the self-discipline to implement these super, super duper habits that gave you a long, longer term payoff in terms of your health and energy and well-being. Yeah, I mean, it's a really interesting question. It's one that I get asked a lot of the time. It's, uh, you know, I don't have the discipline, don't have the willpower, et cetera. And I, and I say, it's not to do with that. It really isn't because those things are fleeting and they wane and they ebb and flow. And therefore, um, you will always struggle uh, to resist, like they, what they say, what resists persists. And for me, um, there's a couple of ways of doing things. It's from from what I I uh, see as best practice. There's one which is the one I advocate a lot of the time is uh, tiny steps and small changes, and never absolution absolutism. So where you say I'm never going to have something, and I'll, I'll give you an example in a moment. Way is where there is a significant, uh, I guess, emotional change in in a person. And I think at that time, for me, most of these habits came about through the, for the, the second thing I've just described, the significant emotional change that I had. Uh, and I guess that came about because I saw lots of people who uh, I guess I admired in one way or another, 
and and shifted my paradigm my way of thinking about certain aspects of life and thinking oh this is how it could be the way we've been taught about aging illness disease is not actually how it is which initially maybe angered me and sometimes still does to this day to like anger me that like especially what we see right now about things um uh, but then it liberated me because what it did is it gave me the power within me to make changes that I was then not um, uh, like the at the mercy of say circumstances right now things are going to happen of course they always do but we have so much more control over things uh, in fact I was trying to explain this concept to my seven-year-old niece yesterday we were having breakfast out in the sun um, she was having a bit of porridge I was having my green smoothie and we were taught, she, I'd read her a story um, the night before about Aretha Franklin. So she's got all these cool books about um, women who have done amazing things. And so we read uh, Aretha Franklin. And so the next day we were listening to Aretha Franklin mm-hmm. uh, it's because she wanted to like, we were listening to Respect and, and all the other good tunes. And then she, she, and I couldn't remember whether she was still alive or not. And, and so we were kind of Googling her and then we found out she died from pancreatic cancer and we started talking about longevity and death and everything and and she said oh but we can't help how long we live and I said well actually you know there are many things we can do which can help us lengthen our life and you know such as what we're doing right now which is you know being on on the grass and uh, being in the sunshine and having green smoothies and healthy food and drinking water and getting good sleep and all that and so we can do a lot of those things and so that really, I guess, created a change in paradigm for me. So for me, those changes were not about willpower, discipline. What they were fundamentally were, so I'm not sure if your listeners or yourself are familiar with, I guess, it, is it Robert Dilt's uh, epistemology model where in NLP where you have, um, it's led basically neuro- neurological levels of change. That's what it's called, neurological levels of change. And this is basically a model, if you like, which says that you can a- affect change at different levels. The lowest level is your environment. So you can change your environment <clears throat> and that can change your behavior. Or, mm-hmm. or, you know, you can change your environment for who you hang around with, like, or, you know, because if you always go to the pub, then you're, you're probably more likely to drink. If you always go uh, to the gym or the park, you're more likely to maybe exercise. Um, and so let's say, for example, someone has a wants to change how they feel uh, to feel relaxed. Um, they get stressed a lot. OK, uh, the next level up from environment is skills and capabilities. So so you could give them a new skill, for example, mm-hmm. such as breathing or meditation, which will help them manage their stress, as opposed to maybe right now what they do is turn to a cigarette to manage their stress. Um, now you can give them that skill, but that may not still be enough. They may still go to the cigarette. Now, why do they go to the cigarette? Maybe the level above, which is about values and beliefs, they believe ultimately that maybe smoking a cigarette is cool, right? They see pictures of James Dean smoking, all the cool kids used to smoke, you know, by the, by the chip shop when they're at school. Um, you know, that they may believe that. And therefore, even if you give them the skill of deep breathing, for example, which incidentally taking a cigarette smoke is really that, but you know, you, you, you're going out and you're, you know, you're exhaling all that stress, but let's, you know, maybe take the cigarette break without the cigarette, I suggest. But 
if that's if that's their belief, it's not going to change. Now, the level above that would be something like identity. So who you believe you are. So my dad, for example, he sm started smoking at 18. He smoked for 40 years. So until he was 58, oh. 77 now, um, gave up like 19, 20 years ago. But he gave up. Um, the last cigarette he had was on the morning of the day of his triple heart bypass. Oh. And he stopped smoking that day. Uh, I wasn't actually here. I was on my long travels. I was talking about, I was actually in Australia. Um, and he never had a cigarette again. And he never had an urge to have another cigarette again. And he had no trouble. Like, so you could plump him in a smoky pub and he's not going to be tempted to have a cigarette. Because what fundamentally shifted is he went from being a smoker to um, not even like an identity of someone who used to smoke but hasn't smoked to an identity of non-smoker. Okay. Now, he may have substituted it with other vices in the, in the interim years, but the point is that he wasn't, he changed his identity. And that was really what happened to me is that I changed my identity about certain things and therefore it wasn't about um it wasn't about um <clears throat> resisting or lack of anything it wasn't about willpower discipline and it wasn't about thinking about giving up things uh because everything has an opportunity cost and so when you say yes to something you say no to a thousand other things and vice versa often so by me saying no to you know i don't know a big mac and fries i'm not giving up the big mac and fries are the joy um i'm gaining i don't know whatever it is the health the energy the vitality or something um so that's one thing i would suggest is that is that reframe for me uh, yeah or, or you know and that change of identity um so and the other thing really is yeah that goes go slow and not to ever have that absolute i never have things so i uh 10 years ago now exactly 10 years ago in fact 2011 and it was i think it was pancake tuesday last week wasn't it was yeah so most years although i haven't this year my my niece was asking me what i've given up this year for lent she's given up chocolates last year she became she was six years old last year she became vegan for for, for lent um, very very progressive i didn't know what that word was until maybe 10 years ago um and then 10 years ago i decided to give up meat for lent and I only gave it up for Lent and then I was fully prepared to go back to eating it on Easter Sunday. And in fact, I did go back to Easter, eating it on Easter Sunday. But then I felt really kind of heavy and tired and went to sleep for a couple of hours in the middle of the day. And then something happened and just like a penny dropped. And I'd given up meat before for Lent, like years before, always went back to eating it. And something just dropped. And I just thought, you know what? I felt more energized, lighter, slept better, could eat kind of till I was full, but then not feel stuffed in a way afterwards. So I, I just decided to not have it. And now I had not, I've not given up meat. Um, I just haven't, I didn't have it yesterday. I didn't have it the day before yesterday. I didn't have it all the days in the last 10 years. It's not to say I, I won't eat meat tomorrow or the next day. So I haven't said I'm never going to have it again. Yeah. I just haven't had it for the last 10 years. Yeah. That, that's all. So yeah, I get that because sometimes if you say that you're not going to have something, then it, it's it's like saying don't think about a white elephant or uh, it's it's that thing of 
it can't just fade from your life. It's always there and something that you're kicking against, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I've, um, I, as you, I think, know, I, you know, I'm having a, a reasonably entertaining week because I'm, I'm homeschooling and looking after my, my, my sister's uh, kid. And, and she was asking me, because well, obviously my, my, I've got four nieces and um, the three that are old enough, they, they all know about my you know, healthy habits and all that. And they always say, oh, you always smell like smoothie, even if I'm a smoothie for a day. They go, oh, I smell like smoothie. So they always know about this. And they always like, and my niece yesterday was like, she was talking about chocolate or something. She goes, oh, but you don't eat chocolate if it's vegan chocolate. I go, well, yeah, I, I still have chocolate, and but I make sure it's not in the house. And... I don't have things like present for her in the house. So, you know, because the temptation will be there. So um, like the iPad that we're using for homeschooling is out of sight unless we're using it for the homeschooling. The TV is never on because she's not massively used to that at her house either. Her parents don't do that much for her, but she's like any other kid. If you put her in front of a TV, you know, she becomes a zombie um, for, for a bit. So. So, we, you know, we, we put the pen and paper there and I say to her, you know, I don't stop having crisps. Or, I mean, I had a packet of crisps today, but what I don't do is have them in the house, which means I have them when I'm out. So I don't stop myself from having any of those things, but I know what I'm like. And I say to my mum, because my mum now lives closer to me. Um, and so she's always bringing around things. And so she brought round a bunch of stuff the other week for for my niece to have and it was stuff that i like as well and i was like don't leave it with me because i know my mind and i know i'm a bit all or nothing especially uh, you know i've always known this i could usually eat like 10 bags of what sits when i was a kid in like one sitting and so i just don't have it there why 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 rely on willpower to make those changes why not just create the environment that supports those changes don't resist ever having that but have it with awareness and i think that's the key is is bringing awareness so if i decide to do something um and i have chocolate or have something with dairy in it or whatever i know what that will do to me yeah. and i do it with full awareness so if i want to perform well i'm probably not going to do something that i know makes me feel bad but if I'm sitting at home, I'm alone, I'm just gonna watch a movie and I'm not I've got a busy day the next day and I'm just gonna mong out. Maybe I'll have something that I wouldn't normally have if I was out for dinner with people. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I get that. And it, I mean, isn't it also partly just about knowing yourself because I'm one of these people, for example, that uh, I could eat like a couple of crisps a week, you know, if there was like an open bag or something, because I'm not particularly motivated by crisps. Right, yeah. Even with chocolate, I might have a, you know, a square after a meal or something like that. It's just, uh, it's just that my my makeup. I'm just not one of those people that kind of binges on food. I just don't mm. do it. Um, but everybody's different, aren't they? And for some yeah. people, the the pull of those um, unhealthy foods, uh, as you said, it's it's got to be all or nothing. And some people yeah. are just like that, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm I'm probably one of those. I mean, not not for everything. And I and even now when I have my quote unquote unhealthy stuff, it will generally be the better version of that unhealthy stuff if I can. And mm. not too complicated. But I, I know that, you know, if you if I've got six bags of crisps there in the house, they're not gonna last the week or probably even two days. Right. Um, but if I don't have them in the house, I might go weeks 
between buying a packet. So. <laughs> okay, so so we've got some some comments from Richard said. Uh, yeah okay so so rich rich has got uh he says he could never be a full vegan <laughs> well i'm not a vegan either i'm a megan yeah um, okay. my, my version my version of vegan which you know like i said i never i i think i i was an accidental vegan for about two years yeah i think i, I, think I stopped having dairy like maybe 12 13 years ago for other reasons just because someone told me it might help with my sinuses yeah I had problems with all my life and, and it turns out it did help yeah um and then meat went and then a couple of years after that quite by accident I stopped eating fish um and I didn't realize I'd stopped eating fish for about six months um and then eggs I'm not sure I think I may have stopped eating eggs for about two or three years but probably in the last five years I've definitely I mean I had a bit of egg today actually so you know I'm not I I I'm not too, well, am I prescriptive? I guess I've got certain disciplines and certain foundational principles, um, which I am have flexibility with. Um, but, yeah, I prefer to say Megan rather than okay. vegan. Okay. All right. Um, so one of the uh, conversations that comes up with me and the people that I work with a lot is the mindset of success because obviously we're on an entrepreneurial group tonight my podcast is for entrepreneurs those are the people that I serve and a lot of the time this this whole issue of what is the mindset of success does come up and I was actually having this conversation with with one of my personal mentees today and um I was saying saying to him, you know, this self-talk, you know, what you tell yourself is so powerful, isn't it? Because I've noticed that I talk to a lot of successful entrepreneurs. Obviously, I interview them for the podcast and I'm just, you know, around a lot of people like that. And I've really noticed the language patterns yeah. that tend to be quite self-congratulatory a lot of the time. It's like had a conversation with somebody last night and he said, you know, my brother and I, we've just done something really clever. We, we've, we invested, we made this fantastic investment and it was so smart that we did this. And some people would think, oh, you know, he's just bragging. But it's almost like I noticed that they, they have a certain way of talking that is empowering um, and really bringing about more success because it's almost like like you can hear it in the way that they talk about themselves and their accomplishments. Um, so I'm really interested to explore that because you've studied NLP and that's uh, some of that is about language patterns, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, yeah. I mean, my the the first book I wrote actually, which is this one I got up on the wall. One whole chapter is about language. Okay. Um, so this book was, um, I guess, written because it was, you know, the idea I was talking about before about changing your identity, changing who you are, because this book is written for all those people that were, you know, starting a new gym pattern, exercise pattern, diet pattern, and then you go back to the same thing over and over again. The reason okay. is because you don't change that. Harry, before we, before we go on, can you just say the name of the book? Because some people oh. are listening on audio. The Thought Gym. The, the Thought Gym. Okay. The Thought Gym. Sorry? 
Who's it? Oh, it's oh, it's written by you. <laughs> oh, wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. This book. Right. <laughs> I, this is the book that I wrote uh, about eight years ago, and okay. and the like the whole my brand of my company is called the Thought Gym, and the reason behind that was because it was you know train the mind and the rest will follow. Yeah. At first, we can't change a behavior without really trying to address the mindset that drives that behavior, and most people try and change the behavior, which sometimes has limited success right you can you know uh, buddy up with someone go to the gym and and then that will maybe change your mindset and believe you're a gym person um but sometimes working on the mindset first will then make everything else easier as well and now the mindset is the hardest thing to change so language um is something i'm really really um passionate about focusing in because like you say the way that we talk to ourselves and it was something that i guess we, we all do and you know i often ask in my talks and seminars oh, hands up if you talk to yourself and maybe like a quarter of the audience will put their hand up or something because everyone has been taught to learn you know if you talk to yourself you're crazy or something and i say well those that haven't put their hand up um you know it's the voice inside you now saying i don't talk to myself okay that's the voice that's going on and so we all talk to ourselves and the way that we talk to ourselves um, creates part of our identity and who we believe we are. Yeah. Uh, and, and even I was, I was um, again, like I say, I've got, I've got my niece on my brain at the moment because I'm, I'm trying to teach her stuff. And so she was struggling with a bit of Lego yesterday and she was saying, oh, this is impossible. This bit. Okay. Okay. Firstly, we don't, we don't have that here. Right. <laughs> There's no impossible. There's no can't. Okay. Right. You're still figuring it out. Um, you know, you haven't figured it out yet, whatever the term is, but I'm catching, you've got to catch them young because we otherwise, and I know this through experience, you, you say, yeah, I'm no good at taking penalties. I'm no good at this, or I always miss anything like that. It's just going to be reinforced. And that's what you'll end up believing. And it's, it, I guess it's, um, we are in a way as humans designed to, drill into uh, the negative in a way uh, why yes. is that is because it basically kept us safe yes Otherwise, we wouldn't be here today if we weren't inherently aware of when we come back from our bushwalk that that stick is out of place and that could mean that a lion has moved it and we need to be ready for that so we are drawn to the negative which is why we're drawn to like the you know you know, CNN, Crisis News Network, or whatever we want to call it, because it draws us in and it captivates us. And and that's not good or bad, it just is. The challenge is that most of what's going on is actually really positive. Uh, the reason things are like newsworthy is because they are, by definition, not the norm. Otherwise, there'd be no point in reporting them usually. So how does one change that mindset to then drive towards the positive and say, oh, that was a really good investment versus, oh, I'm going to lose all my money in this investment I've just made. And the thing that I've, I did, and again, it, this was actually at the Yes Group, uh, Jane. So the first ever Yes Group I went to in January 2011. Um, so I, went, I, I think I went to their first event in December, which was like their basket brigade thing they do where they give baskets of food out to people. Yeah. And um, the first actual event I went was was then, and it was like a health one, but at the Q&A at the end, one of the speakers suggested doing a 30-day gratitude log. So writing down three things that you're grateful for in a book, 
before you go to bed for 30 days. So I thought, you know, I was just at the beginning of this journey. I was, everything was new and exciting. I was learning about all these things. So I thought, oh, yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. Now, me, I'm by nature, I wouldn't say a negative person, but I'm definitely someone that has more of a critical eye. So I probably make quite a good book editor. You know, I can see what's what's kind of wrong quite quickly. And um, and what I noticed after doing 30 days of that is a, a fundamental shift in how I saw things because mm -hmm. I started to seek out things that were good in my life. Yeah. I decided to carry on and, you know, I've carried it on since that day. I've got filled up tons and tons of books. And about two years ago as well, I finally managed to convince some members of my family in our family WhatsApp group to do a 30 day one as well. And we would just write down three things that we're grateful for, share it with the group. Now we're on day 800 and something. We, we literally passed two years on the 19th of February. So um, my intention was just to do 30 days. And then on day 31, my mom wrote in there again. So I just didn't, I didn't say, hey, we've done our 30 days. Let's stop. We just carried on. And so now two years later, you know, this is a really good way that we uh, keep up with what's going on in the day. Now, you don't have to say what you're grateful for that day. It could be what happened last year or 10 years ago, or 15 years ago, 50 years ago. Could be big, could be small, doesn't matter. But that really can change. That, for me, I'd recommend for all my clients, kind of no matter where their happiness level is, their mindset level is, I always re recommend that kind of practice because it is so fundamentally uh, mindset shifting uh, that will that that will be the first step to kind of creating that mindset for success i believe yeah uh, definitely actually yeah. focusing on what what you have got and what is going right as opposed to what you haven't got and what's going wrong yeah absolutely as you said it's the default setting for a lot of people really isn't it yeah yeah, yeah definitely and especially at this time right time in our lives uh with everything that's been going on you know maybe you've been laid off maybe you're furloughed maybe you haven't had any income for a while um whatever it is you know i get that right i've had lots of a tumultuous year as well um the thing is though that there is there is good there is always good and um it's and it's it's doing that gratitude practice when things are tough that when it's really counts not when it's good like there are certain people that i know who are doing these gratitude practices who who can only write in there when suddenly everything's great for them and like it's great do it and at the same time the most benefit comes when you're doing it when you've broken your leg and you've broken up with your girlfriend and you know you've lost your job and all of that and then you still find that day something to be grateful for right yeah, yeah. I, I had an amazing few years with this person and I learned a lot and I grew a lot and I know what to do to take into my next relationship. You know, um, my, my, my bones will heal. Isn't it amazing how the body has this adaptive ability, whatever it is. And I know this sounds, oh, this is superfluous, but these are things that literally happened to me. Okay. And I still found on those days, things to be grateful for in those, in that turmoil. And it really is, I think in my view, a, a bit of a lifesaver. Um, so, yeah yeah so so harry uh, i've got a i've got a challenge for you because i'm i think i'm fairly advanced in this respect in that uh because i'm a cancer survivor you know i've been through an awful lot in my life so oh, i've yeah. had to learn quite a lot of um should we say kind of mindset uh hacks or whatever in order to stay really positive and healthy and kind of pushing ahead and 
just the best version of myself. But I've noticed because I try to be very consciously aware of my thinking and so on, that I have this, uh, my challenge is that um, I have a very suspicious mind. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, when I look back, I think at times that has really served me well because I've got quite a strategic brain so I can foresee problems before they arise. And also I'm quite kind of intuitive. Um, so in some respects, that has really helped me in terms of the businesses that I've built. Um, and in other respects, I find that I overthink things to the point where I personalize. And then um, it's almost like I take it too far. My brain takes it too far. Um, and sometimes I see my mind is so dark. You know, I see problems where you know, people perhaps have kind of quite benign intentions and I'm sort yeah. of reading all of these potential problems and sort of darkness into into what they do. Um, and I, I think I'm not unusual in that respect. No. Um, I guess they're two flip sides of the same coin. But what I'd love to hear your feedback in, in terms of, okay, so how can I bring a little bit more balance into my thinking using all your, your toolbox yeah, <laughs> yeah. It is a challenge. And the reason I say it's a challenge is because I'm, I've noticed that in myself as well, and I know where I get it from as well. I think. Um, you where know, you get it from? Uh, for me, I, I in terms of that, you know, I guess the suspicion of well, the the, the bit where you mentioned where uh, maybe uh, people might have benign motives, but actually you think there's you know what what do they want from me or what you know what are they after? Yeah. I think I that from my mum. Definitely. Um, as much as she's like my number one fan, love her to bits, I know that she has always been like more guarded. And I guess it comes from her upbringing as well. You know, she came from like a, well, not a village, like the, quite a big town in Cyprus, but I think their, their, you know, their family was like the first to be able to, to have a car in the village or my grandmother was the first to drive or something like that. And it's like, you know, other people are kind of, looking at you as you know and so they're always kind of guarded about that and trusting people and when i had um and so i kind of grew up a bit like that whereas i was in a previous relationship a number of years ago and the woman was very much the opposite and way more kind of expressive and out there and trusting of people and what i realized and i started to be a bit more like that and i i, I would notice my mom was like you know you gotta be careful you know people might you know, take advantage of you. And then I thought to myself, well, that's going to happen, right? So firstly, I go, that is going to happen, right? Yeah, and it um, will. It will happen. But let's say it happens one or two or five or 10 times out of 100. Yeah. By, by, by building that, that wall to stop people from, you know, attacking you, you also stop people from coming in as well. Yeah. And, um, and I guess it's a challenging one because it serves you. I mean, like when I was traveling, for two plus years i don't think i had you know any like bad incidents and most of that was because i was deeply suspicious of like you know the people you know that would be really friendly because especially like elsewhere in the world they're really friendly like in the uk we're often like a little bit you know especially like london a bit more kind of reserved but out there everyone's like friendly like i'll come over for dinner or do this or that and i'm like you know i'm not going into these people's houses or doing this or doing rob me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. everyone's out to get you you know and so it did serve me to some degree because i i you know i 
I didn't have an incident, but maybe I would have had different experiences had I been a bit more open back then. Um, who knows? Maybe I'd be in a Thai jail now. I don't know, right? But, um, <laughs> but you know, so I guess my short answer is that I'm still working on it, but I think part of it is accepting that things like that will happen. The bad things will happen, but, you know, if you live your life like that, you then have the potential to lose all the other good things. And so, you know, I've, I've had uh, issues where, you know, you know, I don't know, maybe not swindled out of money per se, but, you know, you've invested in the wrong thing because you're too trusting of that person or you've been taken advantage of by that person for something. But yeah, I've, by, had, I've had a lot of, a lot of those incidents. Yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, some of, I was listening to Wayne Dyer actually today. I, I've yeah. gone back after a period of about, I, I was listening to audio programs for about solidly for five years, like, like Tony Robbins stuff hundreds of times, Wayne Dyer, Bob Proctor, all of that, Jack Canfield. Yeah. And the last five, six years I went to podcasts. Um, now I've got a bit bored of podcasts. I'm back on, on all the audio. So I'm listening to Wayne Dyer and, um, you know, he, he was talking about how when people have, um maybe near-death experiences or you know they 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 realize a lot of the stuff that you know they're worried about like is small stuff you know i mean yeah. even i'm a little bit stressed right i live i live by myself right and then i've invited um a seven-year-old and then my sister as well who's probably worse in terms of messiness than the seven-year-old into this house and it's like you know like crazy because <laughs> you know they like, they have so much stuff for such small people right with all their books and whatnot and then mess everywhere and um you gotta let go we're <laughs> gonna yeah. let go of that stuff and realize you know les brown says a great line which i always remember he's like don't sweat the small stuff he goes and it's all small stuff and yeah. it's and i guess it's realizing that to some degree um but yeah. you have to think of it in the moment which is the, the challenging thing um yeah but but you know I, I guess uh you know bad things do happen to good people and it's all part of life isn't it that we learn through our painful experiences and our challenges and yeah. it's it's unrealistic unless we just wrap ourselves in cotton wool and don't take any risks and don't go anywhere and don't live life to the full um to expect that we aren't going to get bruised and so isn't it really just our attitude towards those bruises and how we react and how we choose to react that actually determines our absolutely. our happiness absolutely yeah i mean it's it's never the thing right so um jack, one of the equations that i learned from jack canfield um you, i'm sure you would have heard it as well but e plus r equals o i'm not sure if you've heard this one or not but no. um it's not his equation, but it's. I think it's one that I heard from Jack Canfield, probably from the success principles. Yeah. But E plus I equals O just stands for event plus response equals outcome. So okay. the event is losing the job, right? The response might be, or the, well, normally when I do a seminar, people will say reaction. And I say, actually, we're not looking for a reaction. We're looking for a response because the reaction and response are different. The reaction is almost automated. Like imagine if you went to a doctor and you were feeling ill and they said, OK, take this pill, come back in a week. And a week later, you go back there and they, the doctor says, you know, uh, the, your body has been reacting to this pill. Or let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about um, vaccines, maybe. Right. Here's the vaccine. Your body has reacted to the vaccine. 
or they come back a week later and say your body has responded to the vaccine, right? What do you really want to hear that the vaccine is your body's responding to the vaccine or reacting to the vaccine? Mm -hmm. So response is about choice. It's about creating a gap between the stimulus and response that you get. So the stimulus being the event and you know response having that gap which allows you to choose as Victor Franklin, that gap allows you choice. So E plus R, the response to an event. So you lose your job, the response or the reaction might be, this is rubbish, uh, why did they fire me? I'm gonna watch daytime TV for the next six months, whatever. Or, and then the outcome is losing job is bad, right? Everyone sucks, life is rubbish. Or the event is lose your job, the response is, right, I get to spend more time with my kids, I get to work on that side project, I get to finally launch that business that I really wanted to, and therefore the outcome is good. So, you know, I think it was Shakespeare who said, nothing is good nor bad, just thinking makes it so. And it's- Hamlet. It's, ha yeah, Hamlet, yeah, so yeah, exactly. So, so the response is what determines your outcome in life. Um, because that's ultimately, we don't have much choice about what happens. The only thing we can choose is our attitude and our actions. And so bad things are going to happen, um, but they are, I, I always like to think like life never gives you anything that it doesn't think you can handle. Okay. And um, one of the things I heard once, which I, it's really stuck with me is that everything works out in the end and, or everything turns out okay in the end. And if it's not okay, then it's not the end. Mm. You know, it's these things that get me through the last 12 months, right? Uh, or, or or the knowledge that this too shall pass, which is one of my big mantras in life about yeah. the nature of life. And yeah, all of this stuff, although they sound like cliches, I find that whenever you hear a cliche, you should pay great attention to it because it's usually a cliche for a good reason and you know it's all a practice so we're not perfect things like that you know I, I i say this stuff and i i talk about this stuff in interviews or in videos or in talks but a lot of the time i talk about this stuff because it's for me to learn as much as it is for my audience to learn oh yeah definitely and um you know i've been through i've been through a lot in lots of different ways and sometimes i think you know why me you know why have i experienced all this stuff in my life and then i just think well i am i'm a generational game changer that is my role i i think that and um you know that that it kind of frames it it sort of makes sense of that look i've i've been here because i've come from that and i'm going to this and my children are going to this and I am the catalyst and the game changer that all of this stuff has to happen to in order to give me the wisdom to pass it on to the next generation and to be the change maker. And yeah. I think, you know, you can that to me, that is a comforting thought. So I think we all um, we all have to find our peace, don't we, with uh, life and and all the events that happen. Exactly. And, you know, you. <sighs> sometimes we often ask, you know, you said, oh, you know, why does this happen to me or whatever? It, it could be that you say, we, we're always, uh, as humans, we're, we're always searching for meaning, right? Mm -hmm. you know, what does this mean? Why did this happen? Why did, you know, like, um, I remember my friend, my best friend of, you know, 20, well, since I was uh, school, he, um, he ended up having a heart attack at 33 years old. And um, he's like a surgeon, like live, live hard, party hard kind of 
person. And, um, you know, I got a call from his fiance at the time, now wife, um, to say that he was in hospital and had a, a heart attack. He was rushed to this hospital. Anyway, I was like, we could try and say, you know, what does this mean? What, you know, why did this happen? You know, and we could say, well, okay, yeah, maybe he, he never really cooked healthy foods and he was working too hard and playing too hard and all that. You know, what does all this mean? And I was like, like you know, again, I think it's Shakespeare. Nothing has any meaning except for the meaning you give it. And if you decide that it means that this is an opportunity at 33, because actually surviving a heart attack at 33 maybe is more likely than surviving it at 83 or 63. And it gives you a lot more time to change your lifestyle to, to do things. Mm -hmm. He took a different meaning, actually, from it <laughs> um, in that, like, life is really short, so I need to work even harder <laughs> to get what I get done. But that's the meaning he's taken from it, right? And that's fine. And and ultimately, nothing means anything except for the meaning that you give it, including, you know, we, we look for the meaning of life. And, and I like to think of the meaning of life as being a, a few different things. One is just purely to experience it, right? That's the meaning of life, just to experience life. I guess spirits can't experience things like ice cream and chocolate and crisps. Um, and the other meaning I give it is, is to love and serve others. And I think that's meaning of life. Now, I could be wrong in that. I could be right in that. I could be partially right. It doesn't really matter. Um, because ultimately you say, is the meaning I'm giving this thing serving me or not because if it is serving you then often we, it doesn't matter whether it's the absolute truth the absolute meaning or, or what it's it just matters whether it is benefiting you if if you decide that all of these things happen to you because you're really unlucky and you're you know then that's going to be your story if you decide that all these things happen to you because you're super resilient and you know you're going to be the the um the, the light that shines the way for other people to overcome these things, then you're going to get a different story from it. And that's, yeah. you know, it's right or wrong. It's just up to you to decide what you mean and works for you best. Mm. And I remember actually uh, one, one of the people that I met at the Yes Group, uh, something stuck in my man, mind and he said, uh, we're spiritual creatures having a human experience, which I, I loved actually. I, I thought that was, yeah, that was pretty powerful. So, yeah. 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 That is so amazing. Harry, listen, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you tonight. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Yeah, and, you know, I'm sure that all of our uh, viewers and listeners will have got an awful lot from it as well. So tell us if somebody wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Um, I'm accessible on all social media platforms as the thought gym. And I say thought as in thinking, because often people think I'm saying fortune as in money. So the thought gym, um, I, I have lots and lots of personal development mindset, success principle videos on YouTube, hundreds in fact. Um, so that's the best way, or they can just go to uh, thethoughtgym.com or Harry dot hk to find out more about me so h-a-r-i is how you spell harry not as in prince harry but more as in hari like indian so h-a-r-i dot h-k for harry kalimnios or hong kong um but harry dot h-k is a good place and you can send me a, an actual direct message there as well well fabulous uh thank you so much anyway for joining us and um I'll see you again tomorrow morning, actually, Harry, because yeah, we'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>
group together, aren't we? So <laughs> see you at 9am. <laughs> I will see you there. All right then. Okay. Bye for now. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Smart Connector podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, why not head over to janebaylor.com and order a copy of my free report on building your personal brand. I'd love to connect with you on social media. And finally, don't forget to like and subscribe to my podcast so that you never miss a show. Thanks for listening in and see you soon.